Welcome, it's indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Richie, good to be with you. We have a lot to cover today. Breaking down news of the day with me, my contributor, Ben Glebe, comedian extraordinaire, Rebel HQ superstar contributor, also brought his podcast back. We're gonna talk about that during the program. Top story of the day. Hello thing, a cyber attack in Fulton County. That's the county Trump and his cronies are being prosecuted by Fonnie Willis. According to NBC News, it possibly could be Trump related. Put up the picture full mask. I did not expect to see this. Officials investigating the recent cyber attack on the Fulton County government systems in the state of Georgia are seeking to determine whether there is any connection to the election interference case against former President Donald Trump in Georgia, a county official with knowledge of the situation said. However, so far, there has been no proof provided that a connection exists. The hack did not affect material related to the case against Trump and more than a dozen co-defendants, according to the office of the DA, Fonnie Willis. Now, let me explain why. Because before DA Willis started this trial, she decided, well, I'm not going to trust the county system. And they created a system that basically operates independent and secure from Fulton County. Smart thinking, obviously. And it has definitely come in handy today because what a nightmare it would be. Now, this is me speaking hypothetically, all right? I have no evidence beyond the report. If, if someone attacked the Fulton County systems because they thought they were helping Trump, um, the reality is this, one, probably, they may get caught, it's possible. Um, but the cyber dynamic does not eliminate the indictment dynamic. All right, you still have a constitutional indictment against the guy, uh, state constitutional. All right, so the DA's office, they keep material related to the Trump case in a separate, highly secure system that was not hacked and is designed to make any unauthorized access extremely difficult, if not impossible, according to the spokesperson, Bailey. County employees were notified early Monday of an outage affecting all government departments. Let me say that again, all government departments. Forty County is where the city of Atlanta is, all right? So most of the cases that come before the Forty County DA are coming from the booming city of Atlanta, including the DA's office. Naturally, cyber attack took place over the weekend and many of the systems were still down on Tuesday. We can confirm, according to the quote, that the Odyssey system, I'll explain this in a minute, the Odyssey system outage and other systems are drastically affecting DA operations, according to Bailey, the spokesperson. Now, what is the Odyssey system? The Odyssey system is a system utilized in the countywide, let's call it justice department for the county, all judicial law enforcement systems, etc. And this system is complex unless you have, you know, a specialized knowledge to operate it. And that system has been impacted. And when that system was impacted, it stopped some of their operations even beyond Fulton County government. For example, 
city of Atlanta. Roughly 85% of the cases that the DA's office currently has come from city of Atlanta. That means they have to interact with the governmental entity known as Atlanta or Atlanta police. Right now, Atlanta police, they are refusing to answer, to open and respond to any email that has a Fulton County email address attached to it. Judges are having to go to the jail to actually do business, to adjudicate, make sure people's rights are upheld within the appropriate amount of time. There's no technology. And then I heard earlier that phone systems are actually down. So it's a lot. We got an update. Remember, Councilman Dr. Yusuf Salam was pulled over. We covered it. He is a member of the exonerated Central Park Five. This man has one of the most amazing turnaround stories in the history of this planet, okay? Happens to be a dear friend of mine. They're now calling for his resignation, at least some of his colleagues on the council. Here's the video and I'm going to give you the update. Roll the back one for me too. You roll your back window, please. Hello, I'm Officer Protecty from the 26 Precinct. I'm Just Council Member Salam. Oh, Council Member? This district, district now. Oh, okay. Uh, Have a good one. Yeah, you're, you're working, right? All right, take care, sir. All right, so the councilman, who is chairman of the Public Safety Committee for the city, wanted to know why he was being pulled over, had his family in the car. He did not do anything illegal. And he needed an answer. Ironically, he's also sponsoring a bill that would mandate police officers disclose all interactions with the community to see if, in fact, stops like that are happening. Because obviously they are. All right, let me give you the update. Per Atlanta Black Star, great reporting on this, by the way, supporters of Dr. Yusuf Salam are. Defending the New York City Councilman after calls for his resignation over claims that he embellished his encounter with a New York Police Department officer last week. Salam, a Democrat and member of the exonerated Central Park Five, was elected to the New York City Council in November to represent Harlem's 9th District and is the council's public safety committee chairman. Let me give a recap, all right? So the incident happened in Harlem. On the night of Friday, January 26, he's in his own district. It was captured on the officer's body cam. The officer is seen approaching the councilman's car, which had a Georgia license plate, and asking him to roll down the windows. When the officer got to the driver's window, the councilman introduced himself. I'm council member Salon, District 9, he said. Council member, question mark, oh, okay, have a good one. The officer then hurries away. Based on the footage, the officer did not explain why the councilman was pulled over. But the NYPD later explained it for him. The NYPD came out with a statement that said, ah, the motivation for the stop was tenant windows, which were considered beyond legal limits. Um, that's not how 
illegal tent works. Um, you, you actually have to test it. Usually an officer that does this, if they don't have the testing kit, they have to call someone who does. They test it in real time. If there's some there, there, you get a ticket, you move on with your life, all right? So based on the footage, the officer did not explain why the councilman was pulled over. But NYPD did confirm that that was the reason. So they championed the conduct of the officer. Quote, the driver complied and identified himself as New York City Council member Yusuf Salam performing official duties. At which point the officer advised him to have a good night. The department said in a statement adding, quote, this officer should be commended for his discretion appropriately. So the council member could complete his official duties. Um, let's put it up, according to the Associated Press, City Council member Sandy Nurse recalled being on the phone with Salam during the stop, saying he was not given an explanation for why he was pulled over in the first place. Per the outlet, Salam said in the statement, quote, this experience only amplified the importance of transparency for all police investigative stops. Because the lack of transparency allows racial profiling and unconstitutional stops of all types to occur and often go unreported. However, some of Councilman Salam's peers have now called for him to resign from the Public Safety Committee. He's chairman of the committee, accusing him of using his position to avoid consequences. Wait, 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 wait a minute. The police said he did the right thing. The police said the councilman complied and identified himself. That's what it says from the police department. But individuals who support the police are saying that Dr. Salam did something unethical. You know, you guys really got to start talking before you start lying in public. So either the man complied and did what was appropriately mandated to do or customary to do, or he was unethical in his identifying himself. Okay, all right, so council member Joanne Ariola wrote on X, quote, the stop was not illegal. The stop was done by the book. What is illegal? What is illegal? It's the percentage of tinting on his windows. Using your council member title to get out of a ticket and lying about the interaction. How can we expect him to be impartial as chair of the Public Safety Committee when he did not depict an accurate account of the event? Ma'am, you're a Karen. You are the Karen of the council. It's evident, it's clear to all of us. Council member Robert Holden chimed in. Um, you can imagine what he's going to say. So Robert said, this is damning. I'm so serious. He literally said damning. This is damning an elected official with a legal tent and out of state plates. Not legally registered, using his official title to obey the law. Where she at? He lied about the exchange until NYPD set the record straight. Councilmember Salam should resign as public safety chair. Now, now keep his picture up. Sir, if the man 
is doing all of these illegal and corrupt things, why are you only asking for him to step down as chairman of the committee and not step down as a council member? <laughs> you didn't think that out when you were tweeting, did you? You, you didn't think that all the way through. Uh, this is about removing him from being an effective advocate for communities because the Public Safety Committee is a very powerful committee. He's the chairman. And I got to tell you this about Dr. Salam, he is nobody's figurehead at all, at all. When he's in the room, he's in the room. Now, Councilman Joe Borelli also joined the criticism, remarking on X, what is sad is taking an incident where someone cuts you a break, does right by you, and then misrepresenting the truth to get them in trouble. What? Um, the officer never identified why Councilman Salam was pulled over. That is the bare minimum. Because if you pull it over, that means an officer has a suspicion that something illegal has happened or has witnessed an illegal act. It could be a very small illegal act, left turn, no blinker, okay? It could be a very small one, tinted windows, small. If that's the reason, you say, yes, um, your windows are tinted. I think they are too dark. No one has confirmed if the tint is illegal, by the way. All right, um, other colleagues like Councilman Lincoln Ressler uh, came to Salam's defense. This is the take of a white person who doesn't have to worry for the safety of his family when they are pulled over by police. Rester said, referring to Holden, I'm relieved Dr. Yusuf Salam and his family are okay. Another user directly responded to um, Ariola's claim, quote, he lied about what? He said he wasn't told why he was pulled over and he wasn't. How is it that, how is that a lie? And how was he trying to get out of a ticket if he didn't even know why he was being pulled over? Your argument doesn't make sense, end quote. Um, whoever wrote that needs to rump office. All right, uh, Ben, do you see, this is literally like mountain out of mold hill stuff. He's correcting his assertion, he's correcting the conclusion, he's correct on the legislation. He is proof that it's needed, meaning the um, investigative stop um, policy so that we know exactly why people are being pulled over. And his friends on the council are coming at him because he told the truth. What say you? Well, you didn't mention that he's black. And I think that's a key ah. piece of information here, which explains a lot of what's going on here. I am comedian Ben Glebe. Did I just forfeit my rights to uh, be on this show because I identified myself? Right. How about the fact that this man identified himself, A, because that's good protocol to do, and B, because he spent much of his life in prison for something he didn't commit and probably has a fair amount of trauma around the police and makes a lot of self-preservation sense to immediately say, I am a council member. Please do not arrest me for no reason or do worse to me. So that also makes a lot of sense, but it just really shows the the prejudice of these people that want him removed from his position of authority because he literally did nothing. And of course it shows that there should be full recording and accountability of all stops because if the stop was legit, I'm not saying it was or wasn't, but you just kind of look into human behavior. If it was legit, like you mentioned, the officer would have said 
even after he knew it was a council member. Oh, thank you, sir, for identifying yourself. I think your windows might have been too tinted. Instead, he's like, oh, you're somebody I shouldn't be messing with. Bye-bye. Have a good day. Because he yep. didn't have a reason even top of mind, which is why he had to run back to his squad car. Guess what? My windows, very tinted, probably too dark. I've never been stopped. It's weird. I've, I drive a lot. I've never been stopped. I don't know if I understand why that is, but um, what I think is clear is that is that council member Salam both complied and did not comply and did do what he was supposed to do and did not do what he was supposed to do, depending mm. on the prejudices of the person who is commenting on it and who is uncomfortable with a man who is a, one of the great redemption stories being in a position of power. They yep. want them to he wants them to still be in a subjugated power, a subjugated position below them. So. People's true colors really do come out when even the littlest of things give them a chance to show those true colors and let them yeah. shine through. It's very sad. Very well said, dear brother. Very well said. And I want to remind people that a lot of cities have made it illegal for cops to do these pretextual stops. Um, so if there's an issue with a tag or uh, maybe an issue with placement of a particular um, headlight that's not working, as long as there's opportunity to see the car visibly. You cannot utilize these things in order to create a pretextual stop trying to look for something else. A lot of jurisdictions. I also I also have not updated my sticker. My car still says 2022 on it. So Damn. I'm not getting stopped. I'm not getting Man, stopped. Man, that's the, let me tell you something, brother. Last thing I would do. Actor Orlando Brown, who has been spiraling um, for a few years, uh, this happened. Oh, Orlando! You demon! Orlando, relax! You demon! You demon! Orlando, relax! Child molester, Richard Ramirez! What is he talking about? This is Richard Ramirez, ladies and gentlemen, and they allow him to work here. Interesting. It's very interesting. But I'm here for the process. Bitch, you ain't gonna have this job, Satan. Shout out to. Now, let's put this picture up full mass. I want to say this. I've watched interviews that he's done. I've heard some of his more, um, let's say, sensational experiences. Uh, he has been harmed by people, in my opinion. He has been used by people, in my opinion. And while his methodology of getting his pain outside of his body so that we can see it and hear it, while it may seem extreme and fragmented, it doesn't mean that there's no cause and effect. It doesn't mean that he doesn't know what he's talking about um, on some level, given his experiences, okay? So TMZ obtained a different video of Orlando Brown inside of the LA restaurant Tao before he was kicked out following his dramatic outburst the other night. Now, according to, to TMZ, the 36-year-old, a former Disney Channel star, was allegedly acting up at his table and shouting at other patrons. Witnesses state Brown lost his cool when staff asked him to calm down. In the TMZ footage, Brown is seen holding up his cell phone, recording the staff while shouting obscenities such as effing demon, et cetera. 
He also suggested an employee um, looked like um, a serial killer, all right, uh, Richard Ramirez. At the end of the clip, the actor is escorted off the premises by security as he shouts, everybody, enjoy your night. I'm sorry for effing up y'all's ish. My name is Orlando Brown. I am Satan and Lucifer's son, effing everybody, F everybody. It's not clear what specifically upset Brown, nor who his insults were aimed at. Uh, Brown was well known as the character Eddie in the Disney Channel hit show, That's So Raven, alongside Raven Simone. Uh, the teen sitcom ran for four seasons, 2003, 2007, very popular. Um, since the end of the show, Brown's challenges with mental health and legal issues have played out in the headlines. Last year, he underwent a psychiatric evaluation following a domestic violence arrest. The actor has previously made some sexually charged claims about other famous individuals, including uh, Bow Wow, Nick Cannon, and most infamously, um, Sean Diddy Combs. Um, and I saw that interview, it was, you know, it was a very sad interview. Uh, so the Proud Family alum has been in a, um, you would call it a spiral uh, with mental health issues and, and substance abuse coupled with it. In June 2018, he was arrested in Las Vegas for felony drug possession. His mugshot at the time of the arrest revealed he had been inked with the tattoo of his former co-star, Raven Simone. Uh, months later, Brown was arrested again in Sin City for burglary after he was caught on tape attempting to change the locks inside now former restaurant legends restaurant and venue, which belonged to his longtime friend, Danny Boy. After spending a few weeks behind bars, the child star appeared to turn over a new leaf. Quote, my name is Orlando Brown from that's so Raven fame he shared in 2020. I had some struggles in the past involving substances like crystal meth and marijuana, not to mention an unhealthy attachment to the internet. He entered a free residential center in Texas for six months that was designed to help men battle addiction, homelessness, and other life impacting issues. Unfortunately, Brown went on to get arrested again in December 2022 for domestic violence. Brown pleaded not guilty while being placed under house arrest, but his attorney requested that he undergo a mental evaluation. You know, in moments like this, you don't laugh, you learn. You cannot effectively assist someone who's obviously in a lot of pain if you judge them before they get to you. Just because he happens to be a former child actor and his, his frailties are apparent and before us, doesn't take away from the fact he's a human being. Um, for those who are around um, this young man, you gotta get him back. He's not himself. I believe he's actually a decent person. I think, as I said, I think he's been harmed. I think he's been hurt by a lot of people. And every interview I see is as if they are happy to exploit him. He doesn't seem all the way there. He's all over the place. He's saying things in ways that would suggest either he's in a mental crisis or on a substance. And the interviewer seems not to care because this interview is going to go viral and they're going to make money. Um, for those who have struggled with addiction, I am a recovering alcoholic. I have many years now clean and sober. 
It is not a weakness. It is simply a reality that some of us face. The reality of being sober is eliminating some of the pain that took place that we thought we dealt with. And all we did was put it in the subconscious of our mind. And then we engage in self-medication, which leads to self-destruction. Somebody get this brother some help. All right, Ben, thoughts? Yeah, this is a tough story. You know, I didn't know all that history of his mental health struggles. And so yeah. on the surface, you see somebody acting how you should not and cannot act in a public place. You know, I frequent that restaurant and that would be really, uh, it's just, you know, it comes off very selfish and, and rude to sit there and, and, you know, ruin everyone's night and accuse a server of being a serial killer who died, you know, 11 years ago because he looks like him. Um, but yeah, the mental health struggle is real. I actually have more video before I go to the second part of this. I really want you to notice how the Jamaican authorities, this is at a Jamaican airport according to the post, how the Jamaican authorities, how they handled this situation with compassion, with care. Literally, some of the travelers were saying things like, you know, just let her be, leave her alone, let her be. And they let her go. They let her go. And then she was starting to walk around the airport um, outside of that controlled area. And that's when someone said, go, go ahead and cuff her, all right? Now, they're going to cuff her. I want you to see how much care they put into making sure she does not injure herself in their apprehension. Here it is.
speculation is that she may have been under the influence of something we do not know. I cannot independently confirm that. Um, it could be a mental health crisis. But here's what we can confirm. The Jamaican police, the authorities, they were extremely professional, did not take the situation personally. They have the same opportunities as, as any other police officer. They could have been extremely rough. They could have said, I fear for my life. They could have tased her. They could have did all kinds of things. But you saw their culture expressed in the way they dealt with this. Once again, policies are very similar for the Jamaican authorities. They didn't arrest for disorderly conduct, for being loud and unruly, for being violent. This person literally went up and attacked a cop. Not one, but two. There was no anger. There was no cop who felt like it's time for me to retaliate against this person for, for, for challenging my authority. That would have happened in America for sure. And it wasn't as if they were trying to restrain themselves. It was more so like they're just trying to restrain her. And they want her to be okay, but you have to protect other patrons here. It was a great example of professionalism, compassion, and humanity in policing. Hats off to the Jamaican police. All right, Ben. Yeah, they did a great job. She, not so much. Yeah. I think she she personified the phrase Jamaican me crazy. Uh, <laughs> she maybe heard that phrase and said, let me do, try and do an act out. Because I, was, I saw the unedited version of this video. She is, yeah. for the record, completely naked in this, right. in this situation. Uh, completely naked, screaming her, her ears off, screaming our ears off. And uh, my theory as to what happened, you know, you said that there might have been drug use. My theory is she went through security, didn't realize she still had her drugs on her and realized she was going to get busted. So she ingested far too much drugs for a human being to ingest. And that's what happens. This is my theory, unproven, but, you know, unsubstantiated. Yeah, unsubstantiated. Right. Unsubstantiated. I'm just kind of. I'm just kind of spitballing here, you know? Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure whatever took place later, she was okay, all right? She wasn't injured or definitely did not die like could have happened in America. She doesn't even support the police, but the idea to pay her thug money to try to help protect her this and that for what? Maybe if she wouldn't be so loud all the time, maybe she wouldn't be getting threats. Are you saying she deserves to be threatened? No, what I'm saying is, is that when you're out there talking the way she does, I, I'm surprised that people are probably pretty upset because she's a pretty radical. She's pretty radical. And maybe she should tone it down a little bit. A Republican representative calls uh, Cory Bush's husband a thug. Now, this guy is a former sheriff, all right? He oversaw a jail that had a bunch of deaths, mysterious deaths. And he decided, well, this was a good idea. Put it up full mass. Dog whistle galore. Texas Representative Troy Nails, a former sheriff who presided over a police department with a history of jail debts and credible accusations of racial profiling. On Tuesday, dog whistled his apparently implicit bias against Courtney Merritt, who is married to Missouri representative 
Corey Bush. So Bush would respond um, to the to the insane comment. Uh, here's what was said. She doesn't even support the police, but the idea to pay her thug uh, money to try to help protect her this and that for what? Maybe if she wouldn't be so loud all the time, maybe she wouldn't be getting threats. Are you saying she deserves to be threatened? No, what I'm saying is, is that when you're out there talking the way she does, I, I'm surprised that people are probably pretty upset because she's a pretty radical. She's pretty radical. And maybe she should tone it down a little bit. Maybe you should tone it down, Congressman, for somebody whoops your ass for talking like that. Oh, I can't say that, but you can? Come on, man, grow up. So Bush would respond to the comment via X. So Cor Bush says, uh, Representative uh, Troy Nails just called my husband, a black man and army veteran, a thug. And I'm the loud black woman who needs to be silent in order to be safe for violence. Or else, question mark, this is the kind of rhetoric that endangers black lives. He must apologize. So full quote, um, she doesn't even support the police, but the idea to pay her thug money to try to help protect her, this and that, for what, Nell said. Maybe if she wouldn't be so loud all the time, maybe she wouldn't be getting threats. All right, so um, we have our dear sister, Representative Omar, would react to the comment as well. The loud black woman trope is racist and tired. The congressman should apologize, and all members of Congress should condemn him. No one in our government deserves to be treated regardless of how loud they advocate for their positions and blaming the victim of harassment and threats can't be condoned. Now, I want to say this, I, I find it quite hypocritical that individuals like uh, this congressman, he will say guns, guns, guns. You have a constitutional right to gun, have as many guns as you want to. You also have a constitutional right to your freedom of speech, 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 speech. You can talk as loud as you want to. Nope, not according to the congressman. There's a limit here. In 2021, Cori Bush posted a thread on X showing the racist threats she received. One of which mirrors what Congressman Nails said. The quote is, tone it down, B word. You're going to get yourself murdered. You keep running that big old got mouth. You ever see what you look like when you're spewing that ish? You need to be put into an effing cage at the zoo. Instead of police reform, how about N-word reform? As they say in the country, the only good N-word is a dead N-word, end quote. Um, I want you to pay special attention to how it starts. Tone it down, B, B-word. You're going to get yourself murdered if you keep running off that running that big old got mouth, you know, it is eerily similar uh, to what the congressman said. Uh, damn near, what, two years uh, plus later, there's more. So Nails responds, all right, so the congressman, uh, Troy E. Nails of Texas, you should apologize to every law enforcement officer across the nation. I'm waiting. <laughs> That's what he said. So Nail's commentary came after Bush confirmed that the US Department of Justice was investigating her for allegedly misusing campaign funds to pay for her, uh, to pay for personal security. 
Bush, a progressive member of the squad, first elected to Congress in 2018 as a prominent Black Lives Matter leader, said in a statement Tuesday that Merritt's had been hired to work in that capacity because, quote, he has had extensive experience in this area and is able to provide the necessary services at or below fair market rate. As a rank and file member of Congress, I'm not entitled. Um, I am not entitled to personal protection by the House and instead have used campaign funds as permissible to retain security services, Bush said in part of her statement. Quote, I have not used any federal tax dollars for, for personal um, security services. Any reporting that I have used federal funds for personal security is simply false. Now understand what the argument is from the investigative apparatus that somehow her using campaign funds to pay for security is not an issue until she hires a particular person who actually has a background in this. And more importantly, would literally take a bullet for her. You understand? So I get it 100%. And she is correct. She is not using any type of funding from the taxpayers. Leave that up to the Republicans taking money from taxpayers like um, Brett Farr. All right, being thoughts here. I mean, this Nell's character could yeah. not have come off more like mob boss threatening if he tried. He's like, maybe she shouldn't talk so much. Maybe yeah, she, right. uh, yeah. she and her thug husband uh, shouldn't talk so much, or maybe they are going to get more of these violent threats. And then she gets, and then he gets called out on it. Are you? saying these threats are okay, and he immediately scrambles and tries right. to act like he's saying the opposite while saying the same. He literally goes, no, 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 I'm saying she runs her mouth off so much, I'm surprised that people are upset and maybe she should tone it down. You mean clearly you're not surprised. You mean right. clearly to say you're not surprised, you're just saying the opposite word in the sentence because <laughs> right. you don't even have a way to twist your way out of it. So you're just trying to make it sound not offensive while still being deeply offensive. So this dude is wild. And please also notice something very important. In response to such an egregious thing, literally justifying the threats against a member of Congress, that member of Congress only calls for him to apologize. Look at the story earlier with rep, with a council member Salam, who literally just had a tinted window probably legally so, and said, I'm a council member. And his opponents, his white opponents that are seen to be challenged by a black man in power, asked for him to resign from that post yep. because of saying, hello, I am a council member. Right. Look at the amount of grace shown on one side and the amount of implicit racism shown on the other. Yep. And um, damned if you do, damned if you don't. If he did not identify himself, he would have been accused of setting up the officer. A trend, but they're getting busted. White male Trump supporters acting like black men on social media, arguing for Donald Trump, saying, hey, 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 and by the way, I'm a black man, but they're not. Um, let's go to the video. Here it is. July 29th, uh, 2018. Yeah. Mike. Mac J007C, username. My wife and I are African American Trump voters. Another post. 
Uh, a person, Keith Tiberius, says, you look at a petty, small-minded, authoritarian bigot in the Oval Office, and you were okay with that as long as the trains run on time. Well, you'll excuse me if my passions get the better of me and I resort to colorful vernacular to articulate my contempt for such as you. You replied to him on September 8th, 2018, I'm African-American and see no bigotry from Trump. Right. Okay, go ahead. Show it to me. I don't see it. No, it's in, it's in the nest. It's I'm looking at it right now. Jumbotron. This is I'm looking at it right now. This is the same guy. That just Fuck what you talking about? Fuck what you talking about? Why did you say you were African American Trump voter? That's all I'm concerned with. Why did you say that? How could I say that if the picture of me is white? No, no, no. You what? said it. We're looking at it. It's got to be in. Co- you got to put it in context. I don't see it. Where is it? What, bro? We, we, bro. It, we can it's all. It's a see nest. It. I don't. Sweating <sighs> bullets. <laughs> I just want to say, it's like the Princess Bride. There are certain rules, and one of them is never go up against Chris Evans when a tweet is on the line. And are you going to explain why you said you were a black person? It was a a banter going on, and we were joking around, going back and forth. That's why. So you you admit it. So you're a liar. So you admit it. No. In the context of joking, as opposed to actually... There's a picture of me as a white man. I can't hold myself out as being a black man. You guys, why, why would you? Guys, bro, 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 He got you cold, bro. Got him. Put it up for a mask. Sir, you are doing God's work out here. White Trumper busted by Chris Evans for posing as a black. Trump supporter online. This is a trend. Popular ex-user and small business owner Chris Evans has shed more, has shed further light on the phenomena of white conservative trolls posing as black people online. I got another example. Here it is. Look at this. Okay. So this guy says, Dean Browning. I'm a black gay guy, and I could personally say that Obama did nothing for me. My life only changed a little bit, and it was for the worse. Everything is so much better under Trump, though. I feel respected, which I never do when Democrats are involved. (laughs) Uh, If you just looked at the context clues, uh, meaning his whole damn post, you would clearly see, all right, this guy has zero substance, right? Well, some people retweeted it. They quoted it. Who? Conservatives did. There's more outlets like NPR, The Root, Splinter, and The Slate have all written articles about this phenomenon for years. White men posing as black feminist, as black conservatives. And as members of the LGBTQ community, 
But they are the ones who will say, no, 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 January 6th, that was all about Democrats posing as Trump supporters. So I'm learning the code in a more magnificent way now. I did not realize it goes this deep. I thought most things they said other people were doing, they were probably doing. Now I realize all things that they say other people are doing, they are actually doing. See how it works. Ben, the guy got caught, he started saying, well, show it to me. Where's the proof? Where's the evidence? And then he says, yeah, it was me, but I was just joking. <laughs> he changes the story once they clearly have the evidence, right? What say you? I, I mean, as an African-American, I'm offended by this. <laughs> I, right. <laughs> I, uh, I mean, this is unreal. That's as plausible as me saying that. <laughs> What this man is doing, because either in both those cases you showed, the guy has a white profile picture and is doing the laziest attempt at right. stealing somebody's ethnicity, or perhaps when you go back and look and the profile picture has changed since. That's right. It now shows a white picture, but they could have certainly had a black picture back then. Yep. So, uh, you know, here's a little bit of evidence that you don't have much substance to your argument. When you need to pretend you're of the aggrieved group <laughs> right. and talk about how great things are going to try to convince people that things are going for that go good for that group because you can't find one example of an actual person in that group. So that's pitiful. when you know you're grasping at straws right it's there. It's so pitiful, man. All right. I say it on day one. Uh, this was illegal, what the FBI did. They would have to return these items. They cannot simply steal items of a safe deposit box. A court of appeals judge has agreed as well. All right, let me remind you of what happened. Here it is. I felt misled. I felt um, just angry, you know. I'm, I'm still angry. At the FBI, they just, they can get, a, they feel like they can get away with anything. And I just feel like it's unfair. They raided the U.S. U.S. private vaults back in 2021. Uh, my husband and I did have a box there. Uh, we put it there because we thought it was a safe place and it would be, you know, less, it would be convenient for me as far as not being able to go get money out east so easily. We found out through the local news. My husband watching the local news and um, he just called my name and he said, look, this is our place. This is the U.S. private vault, and I just couldn't believe it. I, I really didn't believe it, and I sat down and started watching the news with him, and it was actually the uh, FBI is raiding our private vault place. They didn't tell us why they took our money. They haven't told us why as of yet. Unfortunately, this is legal. Civil forfeiture is a, uh, a process in the United States where law enforcement can take property from people who have never been charged with a crime, and the type of forfeiture that, that our client Linda Martin finds herself in now is called administrative forfeiture, where no judge is involved, no standard of decision, no hearing, no judicial review, no internal appellate review, except for a request for, for reconsideration. And it's a really a system where the agency is the not only the prosecutor, judge and jury, but also uh, if you can imagine a governor or a president thinking about giving a pardon in administrative forfeiture, they have decided already they get to keep the property forever unless they decide to give it back uh, out of the goodness of their heart. 
According to the federal court, they stole $86 million, a bunch of jewelry and gold bars. All right, let's get into it. The FBI violated private citizens' constitutional rights when it sees contents from hundreds of safe deposit boxes during a 2021 raid at a Beverly Hills business suspected of money laundering. A federal, a federal appeals court ruled last week, quote, this is a resounding victory, not just for our clients, but for the hundreds of people who've been stuck in a nightmare for years because of what the FBI did. Institute for Justice Senior Attorney Rob Frommer, who represented several plaintiffs said in the case, he told this to Fox News. Now, I want to remind everybody, the theory presented by the FBI was that, well, because the people who own the company that owns the safe deposit box, because that person is under investigation. Um, by extension, the individuals have these private boxes. Um, they are now privy to search, seizure, etc. Well, that's a Fourth Amendment violation. That's unreasonable because those individuals have an expectation of privacy. Okay, so their expectation of privacy is pretty clear when you have a box that has a lock on it and you have the key and nobody else can get in. Expectation of privacy established. And so in order to go into those safe deposit, safety deposit boxes, you would thus need a warrant for each person you search. This was clear in 2021. The law is not ambiguous here. They decided to continue anyway, all right? Uh, the US Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals found the Bureau violated US private vaults. Box holders, Fourth Amendment rights against unreasonable searches and seizures by opening and cataloging the contents of 1,400 safe deposit boxes without individual criminal warrants for each. The January 23rd ruling reversed a 2022 lower court decision siding with the FBI and requires federal officials to destroy any inventory records of the hundreds of box holders not charged with the crime. Agents took about 86 million in cash from the boxes in the March 2021 raid, as well as a trove of jewelry, gold bars, coins, silver, and other valuables. In May of that year, the FBI, quote, commenced administrative forfeiture proceedings against an unspecified number of boxes, according to court documents filed by the government. Um, so beyond just the privacy dynamic, the people who were being investigated did not own said property. Um, and so you have all of these individuals caught up for years in this FBI raid and debacle. The court finally weighs in, overturns it, but suffering has taken place. Um, uh, the forfeiture rule should be completely done away with. Uh, it is one of the most antithetical notions to due process I could think of. And due process says, Hey, if you're going to take away someone's liberty, meaning freedom, property, okay, or life, um, they have certain rights and there must be a process inside of a judicial, judicial arena. Well, this lacks all of that. All right, Ben, thoughts here. Yeah, it's just basically the feds trying to run amok and do what they like with impunity and take people's property and not care about the individual. It's just frustrating time and again when you see law enforcement, no matter whether it be on a local level or a federal level, straight up trying to 
show that they lose sight of their main goal, which is to take care of the people who they are charged with. That's the individuals in every case. And instead, yep. they want to take their stuff instead of take care of their stuff. And it's, it's, it's just disappointing, but not surprising. Yeah, and it did not seem to add any investigative prowess to what they were seeking, all right? It didn't seem to do that at all because these individuals weren't connected to a money laundering scheme. D.A. Fonnie Willis, well, uh, a lot of threats, obviously. She has to wear a bulletproof vest. We've now learned that. Sometimes she has a body double. We've now learned that as well. Put up a picture for a mask. I think sometimes when we talk about this major prosecution of very powerful individuals, we don't always consider the kind of lifestyle changes required. So according to authors of a newly released book, the Fulton County D.A. Fonnie Willis had to leave a courthouse in disguise last August due to disturbing death threats posted on the dark web after she announced the racketeering indictment against Donald Trump. In Find Me the Votes, authors Michael Isakoff and Daniel Clayton detail what they discovered during their two-year deep dive investigation into the conspiracy to overturn the 2020 election and Willis's subsequent efforts to bring Trump and his co-conspirators to justice for allegedly attempting to tamper with the 2020 presidential election results in Georgia. Um, so as Willis was building her case for the criminal indictment, she and her family members faced numerous heinous death threats. Reports showed she was receiving death threats related to the election indictment even before she dropped it. And also in connection to another high profile case against rapper Young Thug. The authors revealed how Willis responded to one threat her security staff found particularly unsettling in the days before she announced the charges. Quote, in the days before the indictment, these threats are intensifying against her. And her security staff noticed an assassination threat on a deep, um, on a deep, deep dark web, web MAGA site, Clantman told MSNBC. The best time, quote, the best time to shoot her is when she leaves the building. So they set up an elaborate operation that involves a body double. End quote. Right after announcing the indictment, Willis went into a back room and changed into plain clothes before discreetly exiting the courthouse. She also employed a body double to use the main exit where members of the media and public were waiting. Not only did she uh, did the security personnel take on Willis's likeness, but she also wore a, a body armor for protection. Willis is still facing attacks. And threats inside and outside the courtroom from Trump's legal team and his camp of loyalists. Right now, she's dealing with the fallout of some allegations recently surfaced, claiming that she was involved in an improper relationship with a special prosecutor signed to the election interference case. That improper, that allegation has basically been settled because the divorce record is unsealed and there's no there there in the divorce record. Uh, however, her comments about it while it was being adjudicated. Or had not been adjudicated um, are subject to a second motion that they filed. Okay, uh, Ben, who in the hell gets the job of being a, a body double? <laughs> that that <laughs> is mean, my wow. question. That is my question. Is it's horrible that she has to go through these death threats and these th this fear she's living under. Yeah. So you understand why she changed into sweatpants and regular clothes and exited from the back. That could have been the whole plan. You didn't need part two, which is who on my staff is interested in dressing as me and going out the front? 
Why yeah. not just leave out the back? You don't need part two of this plan. Yeah. Who am I that's interested in, in perhaps getting shot out the, out the front exit wearing my clothes and pearls? It just really didn't make a lot of sense. You could have just escaped. So maybe not the world's best strategy, but you don't think clearly when you're under death threats, I suppose. Yeah, and she has obviously a lot of death threats coming in hot and heavy. She has to travel with the security personnel. Um, and you know, to be fair, the, the person who's the body double is part of security. What in the red state hell? I think the old man was going to whoop his ass and he's strong. Put it up for a mask. Uh, this actually, this is a throwback. It happened in 2017. I, I don't know. The guy may be a Vikings fan, but the elderly man uh, did not like the fact of how the person was screaming. He did not like the way the person was screaming. They are at a place where screaming is routine. And when the individual ignored him and basically, you know, kind of mocked him a bit and started screaming again, um, Pops laid his hands on him. And I mean, Ben, you know, this is a weird situation. So me and my producers were going back and forth earlier where my producer is saying the guy, uh, the young guy is, is basically just trying not to be um, combative. And I'm saying, you know, it may be them old man muscles. Look, this is why we don't let my grandfather out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know. You gotta, you gotta admire the restraint of the young kid that was getting choked to death and decided to just kind of take it in stride. And you gotta admire both of their commitment to following the action on the field because right, right. after he chokes the guy, <laughs> he gets choked. They both turn and they're like, oh, oh, they're both immediately. And then the young kid remembers, oh yeah, I was just choked and I'm being filmed. What's happening? So yeah. all around, I think, you know, you don't see that move coming from grandpappy. But Not at all. Sometimes they're sometimes they got a little sprightliness left in them. Yeah, man. And in, in in, you know, spurts. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen. You know, earlier this week, a story that has gone viral, black women, some of them judges already running for judicial seats. Some are running for judicial seats for the first time. They are being challenged for qualification because of a new Texas law. Let me remind you of some of the reporting. Here it is. As reported by the defender, according to multiple black women, who are running in the March primary, a new Texas law is being weaponized in Houston's judicial races 
were candidates Takasha Francis, Erica Hughes, and Amber Boyd Cora. All overcame efforts to be removed from the ballot by their all white male competition. This goes back to a law. My understanding, one of those challenges is going before a court now. And I have with me Judge Erica Hughes, candidate for Texas 151st District Court. And you were also appointed by Attorney General Merrick Garland as a US immigration judge in 2021. First African American female to serve as presiding judge of Harris County Criminal Court at law number three, serving from 2019 to 2021. And the first African American and female judge for the Harris County Veterans Court from 2019 to 2021. And literally, they're also saying that you're not qualified under this new Texas law or paperwork issues to run for office. Judge Hughes, thank you for being on the show, how are you? Dr. Richie, thank you for the opportunity, I'm doing well today, thank you. Thank you, okay, this is insane, but I've said there are a few states that would test new laws like this. Texas is one of them, Georgia, Mississippi, and Alabama, and sometimes Florida, they would test new laws. So there's a new law in Texas. Can you explain to me what this House bill actually does? It's called the Incumbent Protection Bill, non-affectionately, but what does the bill do? It allows individuals who currently hold office in judicial seats uh, not to put their qualifications or fill out the spaces on the application. Okay, and it mandates that the challengers of these incumbents must go through this additional qualifications procedure based on this new state law. Is that basically the gist of it? Correct. Okay, now in order to enforce it, this isn't something that's arbitrarily enforced um, or, or that state enforced. This is. It seems like it's being enforced by, like challenged by the person you're running against. Is that is that the way it's happening? Uh, that is the way it's happening. The individuals that currently hold the seat are using this law uh, to challenge the application. But the way they're doing it is not including us as a party. They actually sue the Harris County Democratic Party and not uh, name us, uh, but as a party of interest, not a party to the lawsuit. So interesting. Explain the legal strategy as to why they went to the Democratic Party and said, okay, listen, Democratic Party, your candidates are in violation because of this new law. Why is that important to their strategy? Because if we are removed from the ballot, then they would be the only individual left on the ballot. Democracy is taken from the people and the fundamental right to vote. And they're the automatic winner. The people don't have a choice. The people don't get to decide. When this bill was presented, Was it clear what they were trying to do or did it catch up after the bill? I believe it's caught up after the bill. Specifically, my case went all the way to the Texas Supreme Court. And so you see the trial court, the Court of Appeals and the Texas Supreme Court interpret the legislature's bill and basically make the finding that the bill should not be written in this way. And if so, all of the challenges the individuals running should be able to make the corrections or update the applications. What is the specific claim your opponent levied against you? So for me in my race, I have to have 250 signatures from registered voters in Harris County. In total, I had over 
500 signatures on my uh, application, 700 uh, plus. He alleges that 102 signatures are forged um, out of the 700 plus. And so if you do the math, 700 minus 102 signatures, I still have the 250 signatures standing uh, to remain as a candidate on the ballot. Yeah, this is great. He verified. He verified that you have enough signatures. So what what is his argument now? Uh, if, if if because anyone else, let's say we're doing the city petition, if that's proven, which by the way it definitely is not, and he's, I think he's just trying to impugn your character. But if that's proven, unless there's a city petition, you just throw out the signature, and then you calculate if you got enough. So what is his argument? What he has admitted, you got the prerequisite signatures needed in order to challenge. And so he non-suited at the trial court level and went to the Court of Appeals and Supreme Court. And then he alleged that since 102 signatures are forged, then that makes all of the signatures invalid. So none of the signatures should be valid, and I should not be allowed to be on the ballot because of forged signatures. Y'all need to check his qualifications. That's one of the dumbest legal arguments I've heard. And how long has he been in office, Judge? Uh, 15 years. Once he finishes this year, 16 years. Okay, and all of the black women that we've talked about in this reporting, you all are running against white male judges, I think is primarily the the contrast, right? That's correct. Uh, Amber Boyd Cora is running for a court of appeals. And so they're named justices instead of judges, but still the same concept. You're right, Dr. Richie, yeah. everybody's running against a judge uh, that's currently seated. White man. Okay. You know, on face value, uh, Judge Hughes, I would say, and I, I recently finished law school. All right. So I'm, I'm standing for the bar now. Thank you. And uh, this is obviously face value. It's discriminatory. It's requiring one government employee to have a particular set of rules that another one does not. And I've looked up some other rules and some case law, some other positions. States have tried this with sheriffs, et cetera, with um, the residency requirements, um, grandfathered in based on historical this, that, and the other. Routinely, these laws have been presented, and many times they are, in fact, later overturned. Is there an effort to overturn this legislation now? Uh, the next session comes up uh, this, well, before the summer. I think you will see uh, some bills uh, presented by legislatures from Houston or others um, on the House floor uh, to change the law um, or at least make some amendments. I think that this uh, election cycle uh, will definitely bring some attention and some new uh, legislative uh, bills proposed. Yeah. There was one, um, if memory serves me correct, I think it was Francis. The, the argument was she's she has not been a practicing attorney. Um, and practicing attorney, as you are well aware, can come in many forms. And she has been what I would call a contract and, and kind of a, a protocol attorney, right? Giving legal advice for sure or legal guidance on cases and, and maybe doing some legal work for the for family members. That's all permissible. They're, they're making an argument she's not a practicing attorney because she's not practicing in traditional ways that they would assume. But that's not in the law. That's not part of the rule. So tell me how they are getting away with creating additional rules that are not stated statutorily. Well, it's a subjective view, uh, I believe, Dr. Richie, as to who, uh, what is the practice of law. 
Mm. And I think um, as this case goes to trial, she's on the ballot, but now they're trying to ask for a declaratory judgment uh, saying even if she wins, uh, she is not the, the winner of the election because she did not meet the qualification. So even after the people decide uh, and the court has ruled in the Supreme Court that she remains on the ballot, uh, that challenges to the application aren't valid. Now, she if she wins the election, now they're saying we need to have someone appointed. And then the appointed person, of course, should be the current judge in the seat and not her. It's unbelievable. It's it unbelievable. Um, they're using statute in order to exact their power, uh, to keep it, to hold it. These things are not good faith measures. This is not a good faith way to utilize the, the law itself. And if you look at the board certification dynamic, the argument about is a person board certified in, in some of these other specialty areas, I've never heard of such things before. Um, prerequisites are quite simple to run for political office when you look at them. And this complexity has come. But here's the thing, a lot of conservatives have figured out how to pass legislation to preempt the argument so that once people find out this law exists, they're already using it as a code, in a sense, to eliminate certain people from being able to run. I heard one guy, the attorney made the argument, he tried to clean it up from what one of the judges said. He said, "Oh no, 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 this is not about qualifications. He said, this is about eligibility. Can you unpack that for me? I think it's, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, you you move the needle uh, once an individual finds out the rules, you change the mm -hmm. rules, you change the game, uh, the rules of the game. I was a part of the Houston 19 in 2018, uh, yep. the picture you referenced in the other article. And uh, that's the largest number here in Harris County and in a lot of places around the country for African-American women to win. It sent the county, I believe, in the state of Texas into a frenzy, and you saw legislation changed. And that changed uh, specifically the requirements. They were a lot less, so four years that you had to be a judge. So they doubled it. They made it eight years that you had to be a practicing attorney to run. Um, and so they changed some of the qualifications. And the application has changed as well from the first time that I ran. Uh, with the board certification, what type of law have you practiced? And so just changing the rules. Um, and so also the argument, changing the argument. As I told you at the trial court level, mine was 102 signatures. And then it went to the forgery. And as you just mentioned, um, the experience um, and then the eligibility, changing the rules of the game uh, so that they're different uh, when it comes to uh, make them have a better case. Doesn't this prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the last thing they won't judge is fairness? We're always told about this great uh, equilibrium that exists in America. Everybody has the same opportunity. They are literally passing laws in order to protect one class and to discriminate against another. Because the last thing they actually want is equal, an equal playing field. Um, what should people do? What should people do uh, to help? I think that people, one, uh, need to spread this message and then also need to make sure they're registered to vote. 
uh, in this primary election. And then they need to cast their vote and let their voice be heard to say, you're a judge, you should be impartial. We want someone who is going to promote fairness and equal justice for all parties, no matter what they look like, no matter where they come from. And I think people have to make their voice known in this primary election and go vote. It's simple as that. You, um, you're such a sharp scholar of the law. Um, you have a bachelor's in electrical engineering. You are well respected in the legal community. And to, to have this kind of assault from um, someone on the bench, I mean, there's supposed to be this level of decorum between judges. Um, what, what's, your, what's your response to that? Uh, Dr. Ritchie, for me, I served this country in the United States military. Uh, Again, I mentioned I was appointed by the Biden administration, Attorney General Merrick Garland. I went through extensive background checks for both of those uh, positions. I served as a captain in the um, United States Army. And so to be accused of a felony, which could serve two to 10 years in jail for uh, forgery, is almost just taking me back uh, to before this position was even created. Something my ancestors had to go through or fight for. And it's amazing that tomorrow we start Black History Month. And here we are, here I am in this position uh, in the legal community, have practiced for over uh, a decade. And here we are yet again with allegations, with no proof um, from someone who should be held to a higher standard. So it's really unbelievable. Um, And I just am, am... I guess not really at a loss for words, but just so surprised that this is where we are in 2024 as we approach Black History Month. And yeah. here I am facing these allegations. And uh, just a note to the uh, to the viewers, um, they've had other challenges. These judges have had other challenges. They have not done to the other challenges what they're doing to you and the other black women running. Is that correct? That is correct. Wow. In 16 years. Wow. Wow. All right. We are so thankful for your leadership, Judge Erica Hughes, um, for anyone who can be supportive of her leadership and the continued leadership of these amazing black women, judges, and judicial candidates. Please do so. Thank you so much, Judge Hughes. Thank you, Dr. Ritchie. I appreciate you giving us this opportunity to talk today. Thank you so much. Pleasure's mine. Remember, take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet. Remember, the truth is always indisputable. 